Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you are tuning in for our annual summer series at the movies, where we explore the spiritual truths behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Today started out as the best day of my life. I, I, I did it! I got the gig! Hey, y'all. Uh, good morning. Ice cold piragua, cherry, strawberry, and just for today, I got my mate. There's something on your shirt. It's time to make some noise. We had to assert our dignity in small ways. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. All right, let's give a big welcome to all our campuses joining us live today. Somerset, Mountainside, Garwood, Middlesex, we love you guys. Or if you're watching Church Online, this is week three of our series at the movies. What we're doing is we're looking at um, video clips from a bunch of movies and, and, and TV shows, stories that you may have streamed perhaps during the last 15 months, and how they actually point us to a deeper faith in Jesus Christ. So this series brings together two of my passions, faith and film, cinema and scripture. And today we are blessed uh, to host one of my close friends from Connecticut, Pastor Justin Kendrick. Now, Pastor Justin leads an amazing church based in New Haven. It's called Vox Church. Have you heard of it? You should. It is a powerhouse church. Um, Vox has uh, eight campuses that actually meet in nightclubs, and one is a block away from Yale University, which are, they're reaching college students, and they have a pretty big vision. They want to see New England transformed from the least churched region in America to the most spiritually vibrant place on earth. Can we hear it for that vision? We're on board with that, man. Amen. So Justin's become a close friend, and I'm just so thankful that he and his wife, Chrissy, they drove down ahead of the hurricane this weekend uh, to share God's word with you today. He's got a brand new book coming out. Highly recommend it to you. It's called Bury Your Ordinary, Practical Habits of a Heart Fully Alive. Love the title. I can't wait to read it. You can pick that up on Amazon, but I think you're going to see Pastor Justin is really a dynamic, heartfelt speaker, close friend of Liquid. So would you give a big, warm, liquid welcome to my brother, Pastor Justin Kendrick. Hey everybody, you excited to be at church today? Me too, I am so glad to be here. We need to take a moment, I want to honor Pastor Tim and Colleen. Can we just put our hands together for them? I love these leaders, an amazing couple. God is using Liquid Church all over the world, really all over the world, not just the United States, not just in the Northeast, but all over the world. I've been able to see the fingerprints of Liquid everywhere. And it's just awesome to see how God's using them and using you and watching the Lord work through Liquid Church has just been a joy. So it's really a privilege and an honor to be here. Thank you 
for having me. Uh, I come today with my wife, Chrissy. We didn't bring our kids or my dog, but I did bring a picture to just introduce you to the Kendrick family. This is the Kendrick family. That's my wife, Chrissy. She's here with me today. My oldest son is 14. His name's Gabe. And then Noah, Ez, and our two-year-old daughter just finalized the adoption with Thea in May. And then, uh, and then yeah, just a miracle story. And then our little dog even got in the picture there. That's our golden retriever. She looks crazy in that picture, but she's actually not that crazy. But, uh, but yeah, it's awesome. Awesome to be here. That's my tribe. So grateful to be worshiping Jesus with you today and studying God's word. We're going to be looking at the movie Soul. Have you seen it? The Pixar movie. Yeah, it's an interesting movie. Very cool. We're going to be looking at some of the themes underneath the surface of the movie Soul. But uh, let's get familiar with the idea behind the movie. We'll start with the trailer. Go ahead and take a look. What the? What is this place? What's your name, honey? Uh, I'm Joe. I teach middle school band. Howdy, go for it! Today started out as the best day of my life. Back here tonight, first show's at seven. Yes! Woohoo! You know what that's gonna say? Joe Gardner! <laughs> I did it! I got the gig! Must have been sudden for you. Whoa! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Help! I'm not done! Holy! Oh my goodness! Huh? Is this heaven? No. It's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interests before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. Uh. <laughs> oh, hey, look, I already know everything about Earth, and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life, like uh, pizza. I can't smell. We can't, we can't taste either? All that stuff is in your body. No smell, no taste. Or touch. See? Okay, I get it. Wow. It's my life. Is all this living really worth dying for? You're still alive? Can you help me get back? No way! There I am. What are we waiting for? Wait, not me! That's weird. What is it? 151,000 souls go into the great beyond every day, and I count every single one of them. The count's off. Huh. Soul. So Joe Gardner is the main character of this movie, played by Jamie Foxx, and uh, he's a part-time middle school band teacher, and he's got big dreams, dreams of playing jazz music, dreams of being a famous musician, but when we meet Joe, he's just being offered a full-time position at the middle school. And it's kind of a crossroads moment in his life, right? He has these dreams of playing music, playing jazz, and he also has this job that he doesn't really love, but that is stable and consistent. And so as we familiarize ourselves with Joe and maybe some of the deeper themes behind the movie, I want you to see the moment where he's offered this full-time position and he has to wrestle with the idea of, do I give up my big dreams of grandeur for the stability and consistency of a teacher position 
or do I deny this position and chase after these bigger dreams? Let's take a look. Look, I remember one time my dad took me to this jazz club and that's the last place I wanted to be. But then I see this guy and he's playing his chords with force on it. And then with a minor, I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then he has the inner voices and it's like he's, it's like he's singing. And I swear the next thing I know, it, 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 it's like he floats off the stage. That guy was lost in the music. He was in it. And he took the rest of us with him. And I wanted to learn how to talk like that. That's when I knew Connie knows what I mean. Right, Connie? I'm 12. I'll be right back. Practice your scales. Sorry to interrupt, Mr. Gardner. <laughs> You're doing my ears a favor. Hey! Not you, though. You're good. He's not. <laughs> what can I do for you, Principal Arroyo? I wanted to deliver the good news personally. No more part-time for you. You're now our full-time band teacher. Job security, medical insurance, pension. Wow, that's uh, great. Welcome to the MS-70 family, Joe. Permanently. <laughs> Thanks. Joe Gardner. Now, I'm thankful for all the teachers, right? Thank you, Jesus, for all the committed teachers in the world. My kids, my, uh, my, I'm so thankful for their investment in my family and my kids. But Joe Gardner's dream isn't to be a teacher, right? He doesn't want to teach kids. He wants to play jazz. And so there's this tension that the movie sets up in the very beginning. What's he going to do? And I think it, you know, kind of pushes on all of us a question. That simple question of what were you born to do? What is the dream in your heart? Maybe you dreamed about being a professional athlete, or maybe you've always dreamt of being a doctor, or maybe you just dreamt of having a family and having kids and, and kind of, you know, having that house with the perfect fence and the perfect dog and everything else. What's the dream that's been stirring in your heart? Maybe it was a different dream when you were 10 to when you were 20. Maybe now you're 52 years old and the dream looks a little different. How's that dream going for you? I know as a kid, I had big dreams of playing basketball. Playing basketball in the NBA, I told my mom, Mom, I'm going to the NBA. And I did, in fact, get drafted. No, I didn't get drafted by anybody. <laughs> Nobody even cared. I didn't even play good in high school. I wasn't very good. Somebody was like, oh, wow, really? You're kind of short. No, no, yeah, no, it never happened for me. And so I kind of switched dreams, and I started playing music, actually. And like Joe Gardner, I was a part of a music group that for uh, eight years of my life, we traveled all over the world, and it was amazing. But, but I can remember those times in that music group of always kind of hoping for the next opportunity, hoping for the next open door, and then I'd come home. And we were poor and struggling and trying to make all the ends meet while we chased this dream. And, and my wife and I were going through all of that. And I can remember, you know, sometimes I would go and I would sing at this nursing home. About 30 minutes, 45 minutes from my house, I would go and sing at this nursing home. And, and it was wonderful. I got to know all these elderly people that lived there. It was a very sweet time. But it was a long drive there. And then they'd pay me a little money. And then it'd be a long drive back. And it'd be like three, four hours of my day just to go sing for like, 10 people in a little room, you know? And I can remember taking my guitar and putting it back in my car and, and thinking to myself, is this, is this what I'm supposed to do with my life, you know? Is this the dream that I always imagined 
I would pursue. And I just wonder if there's anybody here today at any of our locations, join us online right here in the room. Anybody here that you've got a dream in your heart, but it's not really being fulfilled. You know, you're not seeing that dream manifest in your life. Maybe you went to college and you got a degree in this, or at least you started a degree in this, and then you kind of shifted over to that, and you've had a few different focuses, and you tried to do that real estate thing, and it didn't really work, and, and then you got married, and, and then the marriage fell apart, and you've been divorced, and you don't get to see the kids like you wish, and on and on and on, and the dream is unfolded, and it's changed year over year, hasn't it? It doesn't quite look like you thought it would. Most of the time, I think life doesn't look like we think it will. And I think over the last 18 to 24 months, all of us have had to confront the reality that life's not going to look like you thought it was going to look. And so you might be here today and you got married during COVID with four other people in your living room, right? Or all the other crazy changes, stories, adjustments that we've all made in the midst of a world where we are not in control. And I think there might be somebody here that you find yourself right now in a career, in a circumstance where you're just paying the bills. Like Joe Gardner, you're just getting by and that dream seems to be slipping away. I wonder, what have you really accomplished? What significant thing have you done in your life? I think these are questions all of us ask. Recently, I came across the obituary a businessman, a man named Victor Dorman. It says this, this is his two sentences at the end of his life. It says, Victor Dorman, who helped change the way Americans buy cheese by putting the paper between the slices as the chairman of the Dorman Cheese Company, died on March 4th at his home in Delray Beach, Florida. He was 80. Now, I don't know Mr. Dorman. Maybe he was an amazing guy. Maybe he had an amazing family. I don't know his story. But when I think about my life, and I think about the last two sentences that anyone writes about me, I don't want them mentioning cheese or paper at all. You know, I mean, thank God for cheese. And all of us, yeah, we do appreciate the paper between the slices, don't we? I mean, I'm grateful for the paper between the slices, but is that really what you want your life to be about? Is that your legacy at the end when everything else is gone? What's the purpose of your life? What's the purpose beyond the cheese? between the slices doesn't even matter and I think some of us you know we find ourselves in a position in life that we didn't expect and it doesn't seem like life is going the way you planned and it's easy in those moments to ask the question does God even care does God even see I wonder if you've been asking that question yourself the last six months the last couple of years when that person got sick when that relationship fell apart when that plan was changed did you find yourself going God are you even here do you even see me? Sometimes I think in church we're afraid to be honest about those types of questions, but today's Honesty Sunday, praise the Lord, right? And so we're all just going to be a little bit more honest and enter into Joe's story who's asking those same types of questions. What's going on? God, do you even care? Well, the Bible tells us some specific things about God's perspective. I love what it says in Jeremiah chapter 1. He says this, hear this for your life today. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. I set you apart. David tells us this in Psalm 138. The Lord will fulfill his, everybody say his, his purpose for me. Now that's important because what that means is that God has a purpose for your life. He has a specific, intentional, strategic significant purpose for your life. Your life will always feel incomplete 
until your purpose is clarified. That's an important point. You might want to jot that down if you're taking notes in between your bites of of, uh, popcorn. Your life will always feel incomplete until your purpose is clarified. God has a purpose for you, but it's critical whether you're 64 or 16. It's critical to begin to understand, God, what is that unique, specific purpose? Well, if you've seen the movie Soul, Joe does get his big break. He, at the same day that he gets the opportunity to work full-time at the school, he's invited to play piano for Dorothea Williams, a famous jazz musician in his town. And so he's so excited, and you saw it in the intro to the movie, he's hustling to prepare for that great concert when he trips and he falls into a manhole cover and he uh, is in a coma. And we're not sure when you're watching the movie if he's alive or if he's dead. We learn later that he is in a coma, and it sends his soul into the afterlife. Now, as I was watching this for the first time, I was a little struck by this because here's the main character in the movie and he dies and I didn't really expect that from a Pixar movie that's a cartoon for my kids you know but Pixar does kind of treat it lightly but as I was watching the death or the 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 near-death experience of Joe Gardner it just struck me with the reality that I think sometimes in our culture in our world we misplace the reality that this life is short that life is fragile that I don't know how long I'm gonna live. I don't know the quality of life I'm gonna have five years from now, 10 years from now, even if I'll be here, neither do you. Life is so fragile. The Bible talks specifically about this. It says each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment. In other words, there is a day where you will stand before God and he he will look at your life and you will give an account. I wonder, does your life make sense in light of that truth? the dreams you're pursuing, the ambitions you have? Does your life make sense in light of eternity? Now, death in this movie is treated pretty lightly, and so, you know, Joe steps into what's known as the great beyond, and he doesn't want to go to the great beyond, so he runs off the escalator of the great beyond, and he lands in the great before, and this is where he meets Tina Fey, 22, okay? If you're interested, they named her 22 because this is uh, the 23rd Pixar movie. They had 22 before it, and so they decided to name her character 22, but she has no spark. She's never been born, and she doesn't want to go to earth. She doesn't want to be a person. She wants to stay in the great before, and so Joe makes a deal with her. He says, listen, if you could just find your spark and give me your passport for life, I could go back to living, and you'd never have to be born. We'd both get what we want. 22 agrees, and the two become partners, all right, in this mission to get Joe back to earth and 22 stuck in the great before. Well, the plan goes a little awry, and this is a little confusing. 22, played by Tina Fey, ends up in Joe Gardner's body, and Joe Gardner ends up in the body of a cat. Now, just so you know, this is not a completely biblical idea, all right? Be not afraid. You're not going to end up in the body of a cat, all right? Um, some of you are like, it doesn't sound that bad. No, it would probably be a little strange. So so now they're stuck in these in these other forms, right? And they've got to figure out how to get Joe ready for the big day where he plays the concert and switch back bodies. Now, in the middle of that, they go to the barbershop. They go to the barbershop, and it's here that 22 starts to pontificate about her experience in the great before, all right? Now, it's an interesting scene. We're going to look at it in just a second, but I don't know your experience with barbershops. I, in particular, love my barber. Now, in my, in my life, there's, there's Jesus. There's my wife, Chrissy. There's my kids, and then there's my barber. 
and, and sometimes my barber slips in front of my kids, I'm not gonna lie. Like, you know, like me, me and, my, me and my, my good friend Javier, he's been cutting my hair for a while and, uh, and you know, I led him to Jesus. He was baptized in our church. His wife was baptized. His kids are friends with our kids. They go to our community group. Me and him, it's a brotherhood. And, uh, and, and, and it's a sacred space, the barber shop, really. If you go to the right barber, if you don't, call Javier at Fresh Cuts in Connecticut. He's great, but, but it's a long drive for you. But, uh, but, you know, that type of experience is a little bit of what we see here. It's a place of honest reflection. It's a place where people can get to know each other. People can literally let their hair down and learn one another's stories. Now, Joe's been going to the barber, Des, for a long time, but he's never really listened to Des. He always talks over Des. And so now, 22 in Joe's body is going to get Joe's haircut. And watch the eyes of the cat who has the soul of Joe within him as you watch this clip, as Joe Gardner's idea about purpose is challenged. Let's take a look. Sometimes change is good. You have been rocking that same style for a while. Well, does for hundreds of years, I've had no style at all. You can say that again. <laughs> but then my life changed. Oh yeah? What happened? I was existing as a theoretical construct in a hypothetical way station between life and death. I heard that. And by the time I got to mentor number 266, I was seriously asking, like, what is all the fuss about? Like, is all this living really worth dying for? Mm. You know what I mean? I never knew you had such an interest in education, Joe. I just thought you went to music school. And another thing, they say you're born to do something, but how do you figure out what that thing is? I mean, what if you pick off the wrong thing or somebody else's thing, you know, then you're stuck. I've been there, I guess. I'll take one of those. I wouldn't call myself stuck, but I never planned on cutting heads for a living. Wait, but you were born to be a barber, weren't you? I wanted to be a veterinarian. So why didn't you do that? I was planning to when I got out of the Navy. Then my daughter got sick. And <laughs> barber school is a lot cheaper than veterinarian school. Well, that's too bad. You're stuck as a barber, and now you're unhappy. Whoa, whoa, slow your road there, Joe. I'm happy as a clam, my man. Not everyone can be Charles Drew inventing blood transfusions. Or me, playing piano with Dorothea Williams, I know. <laughs> you are not all that. Anyone could play in a band if they wanted to. Don't pay Paul any mind. People like him just bring other people down so they can make themselves feel better. Oh, I get it. He's just criticizing me to cover up the pain of his own failed dreams. <laughs> you cut deep, Joe. I wonder why sitting in this chair makes me want to tell you things, Des. That's the magic of the chair. That's why I love this job. I get to meet interested folks like you, make them happy, and make them handsome. Wow, am I crazy or do I look younger? I may not have invented blood transfusions, but I am most definitely saving lives. I don't know about this crazy cat guy thing, man, but it is nice to finally talk to you about something other than jazz, yo. Huh, how come we, um, Never talked about your life before. You never asked, but I'm glad you did this time. Looking good, brother. <laughs> I grabbed a couple road lollies. Joe Gardner's view of the world is being challenged. He thought his barber, Dez, was born to cut hair, but all along, Dez had a different dream. His dream was interrupted when his daughter got sick, but Dez didn't see that as a loss of his purpose because Dez understood that his purpose wasn't so much in what he did, it was more in who he was becoming. And here we start to see a central theme in this movie, which actually points us in a biblical direction. This truth that you are not what you do. 
You are not your performance. You are not your accolades. You are not your bank account. That behind all those things, God actually has a purpose for your life. He's growing you. He's stretching you. He's training you. He's testing you. And he's teaching you. And he often does it through the moments of your life that you least expect it. See, Soul explores this idea of what we'll call today the glorious mundane. The glorious mundane is an idea that in the simple things of life, in the ordinary things of life, in the boring moments of life, there's actually an invitation to really live. That oftentimes we are hustling and rushing and trying to be something so consistently that we're missing the sacred, glorious, beautiful, ordinary moments that would transform our lives to actually be fully alive. Let me try to illustrate. The other day, I was being an important pastor, you know, and I had all these text messages coming in and phone calls that I was managing and, and I, was, I was answering email on my phone and I was at my house kind of running around doing my thing and right in the middle of my chaos, my two and a half year old daughter comes walking up to me, starts pulling on my pant leg and she says, Daddy, look, because she doesn't say look yet. So she says, look, Daddy, look. And I said, oh baby, Daddy can't look right now. Daddy's working on something. I got something to do. I've got important pastor things to do, you know, whatever. She's like, no, Daddy, look. And I'm like, baby, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. And she goes, Daddy, look. And so finally I said, okay, what, what do you got, honey? What, what's going on? And I looked down and here's what I saw. We took a picture. Here's my daughter. And so she's got her princess dress on. That's one of 37 princess dresses that she has. Okay, she's got a princess dress for every hour. And, and she wanted me to see her in her dress. And I looked at her and my, my heart melted. And in that moment, I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why, why am I hustling around to do something when what I really need to do is right in front of me? And so I scooped that little girl up. And I put on our favorite song. Well, it's my favorite. Hopefully it becomes her favorite song. My Girl by The Temptations. And we just danced in the living room for the next four and a half minutes. And as I was spinning around and she's cackling and laughing, I'm crying. And I'm just experiencing this moment where time stood still. And I wonder, how many moments of your life are you missing trying to do something? Is it possible that life is a little bit less about all the accomplishments and a little bit more about becoming someone who knows how to love, becoming someone who knows how to give, becoming someone who knows how to serve? What if life is really found over coffee with a friend? What if life is really found parking cars in the rain at Liquid Church? What if life is really found gathering in a small group of people and talking about how Jesus has changed your life? What if life was really about a meal with the kids, going out and having some fun? The other day, I went to my quiet place that I go by the beach near my house, and I'm sitting at this place looking over this incredible sunset, as the, excuse me, sunrise, as the sun rises, the clouds, everything perfect over the ocean. It was amazing. It was glorious. And I looked over to my right, and there was a guy sitting in his car looking at his phone, and he missed the entire sunrise. I mean, it was like five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I just kept glancing over. It was a little awkward, but I just kept looking at him, and he was just the whole time just looking at his phone, and I wanted to scream at him. I didn't. I thought it would be weird. I wanted to be like, hey, do you realize there's a sunrise in front of? Nope, I'm on my phone. I'm on my phone, doing the thing on my phone. He's missing the glorious mundane. And I think for some of us, God's trying to get your attention today 
that even in this pandemic, as life has slowed down, as our plans have been interrupted, as everything around us has changed, maybe it's a sacred invitation from God to learn how to really love. Maybe it's a sacred invitation from God to learn how to really care. Maybe it's a sacred invitation from God to learn how to really serve and be fully alive. Come on, somebody put your hands together and believe God with me. So Joe Gardner does get his big opportunity. And after he plays his great concert, it doesn't fulfill him. It's not enough. I think this is exactly what Jesus meant in Mark chapter 4 when he said, what does it profit a man, look at this, to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In other words, there's something deeper to you than just your acquisitions, something deeper to you than just your accolades. And it's possible to fulfill all your dreams and miss out on life. Life. And I think there's somebody here that's been walking past the glorious mundane, missing those sacred opportunities. And so it begs the question, what is it that makes the mundane glorious? What is it that makes life really worth living, really beautiful? Interestingly enough, soul doesn't give us an answer to that question. The movie doesn't really answer that. It challenges us to live right in the moment, but it doesn't give us an answer. Christianity does give us an answer. It gives us a very specific answer, that life is glorious because there is a God who cares. He cares about you in such an intimate and personal way that it makes all of life Glorious. I love the way Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 10. Look at this with me. It says, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, consider this for a moment with me, okay? There are about 1.6 billion sparrows on planet Earth. I'm not sure whose job it was to count those, but that's the number that scientists tell us. 1.6 billion sparrows, about 50 billion sparrows all across the globe, or uh, uh, birds all across the globe, 50 billion. And according to the scripture, God is aware of every single one. He determines who lives, who dies, when they live, when they die, when they fall, when they fly. God is aware of all of it. And then he goes even further, and he says, I know the hairs on your head. Now there's 8 billion people on planet Earth, which means there are approximately 800 trillion hairs floating around in bathtubs and on your head and on your jacket and everything else. 800 trillion. Why would God spend his energy counting hairs? Some of us hear this and we think, oh, it's just hyperbole. He's just saying that. No, Jesus is not just saying that. He's, he's being truthful. He's saying God at this exact moment knows the number of hairs on your particular head. Why would he do that? It's an illustration to point us to a truth that actually does change everything about life. One that you've heard maybe a thousand times, but during this crazy season of life, I think you need to hear it again, and I think your heart needs to take hold of it in a deeper way. The truth that God cares, that life is important, significant, and worth living because there is a God who is engaged that pain you're dealing with right now, that diagnosis that you got that you don't have a real clear answer for, that marriage that is on the rocks, that kid that's gone off the walls, all the things going on in your world today, you need to hear today from the Holy Spirit of God much more than you need to hear from my mouth that God cares that he's engaged, that he's involved, that he's not distant, that he sees you, and that he has a purpose for you, and knowing him unlocks that 
unique purpose. And so Joe, he gets his big break, but it doesn't satisfy him. And as the movie goes on, what we see is 22 gives Joe her passport for living. And Joe Gardner's back in his body alive, but 22's soul is now never able to be born because she gave up her passport for living. And so as Joe is living his life, he has a revelation. He realizes that life isn't about making it big or playing with Dorothea Williams or becoming a famous jazz musician. He realizes that life is about loving. Life is about learning to love. Life is about sacrificing for others, about opening your life to something bigger than yourself. And so Joe Gardner decides to go back to the afterlife and give his passport for living, which he got from 22, back to 22 so that she can now live her life. Now this means that Joe won't be able to live anymore. He'll need to go to the great beyond. But I want to see that moment play out as Joe makes that sacrifice. Let's take a look. But Joe, this means you won't get to... It's okay. I already did. Now it's your turn. (sighs) I'll go with you. You know you can't do that. I know, but I'll go as far as I can. Joe Garner learned to love, right? And of course, Pixar puts a little bow on it and they say, hey, uh, Joe, you get a second chance at life because, you know, you gave up so much and so that's wonderful and he goes and starts living, but living fully, taking a deep breath, enjoying every moment, fully engaged and his new life required a new perspective. And I think that's really what Jesus is getting at here in Matthew chapter 10 where he's telling us about how God cares. God cares and that changes everything. That shifts everything because in the mundane moments where you're changing a diaper, in the mundane moments where you're helping somebody that nobody notices, in the moments where you're just slugging it out, driving to work, doing the routine, paying bills, getting dinner, on and on and on, in all the average ordinary moments of life, there's a God who underneath the surface is writing a greater story. And he's doing it in ways you don't expect. He's doing it in ways that you can't see, that oftentimes in life you even miss those ways. Let me show you. 
When Jesus turns to his disciples, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, right? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. Now, how many of us as Christians have kind of heard that before? You've heard that sentence. You go, oh yeah, two sparrows. You know, I was reading it the other day and I just, I just stopped in reading it and I asked myself, who is buying sparrows? I mean, it's just an honest question, right? Let's just go with it for a moment. Who's, I mean, how many of us in all of our locations, joining at home right now in the room, have you ever bought a sparrow? Have you ever seen a sparrow for sale? I mean, they didn't eat sparrows, so he wasn't buying it for food. They didn't have pet sparrows, so there was no reason to buy a sparrow as a pet. Why is anyone buying a sparrow? Jesus uses an illustration, and for our minds, it's immediately irrelevant because it's like, mm, nobody buys sparrows. What's the deal there? Well, if you were a good Jew in the first century listening to Jesus, you knew why someone would buy a sparrow. Someone would buy a sparrow to fulfill the requirement of Leviticus chapter 14. In Leviticus chapter 14, God gives the people of Israel a description of how a leper is to be cleansed from his leprosy. Now, leprosy in the Old Testament constantly represents sin in our lives, okay? And so this is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament truth, but the process required two sparrows. Stay with me today. Let's read Leviticus 14 and what God says through Moses. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, check this out, saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then in the case of the leprous person is healed of, is healed, excuse me, in the leprous person, the leprosy is healed, the priest, verse 4, shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live, clean birds. That word birds in the Hebrew is not just birds, but sparrows, and the cedar wood, and a scarlet yarn, and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird, try to picture this with me, with the cedar wood, and with the scarlet yarn, and with the hyssop, and dip them and, and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird go into the open field." Now, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this text. I've never seen this one on a coffee cup before. So it's not like the most popular Bible verse out there. God, you know, caused all things to work together for good. Then kill the bird and the leprous. No, that, that's not on the coffee cup. Like, like, that's not a normal verse. You maybe have never read this verse in your life, but there's something here. It's a strange ceremony. But this ceremony is actually a prophetic picture of what God would do in Jesus. It's actually pointing to something much bigger than what we can see, and it's packed with symbolic meaning. He takes cedar wood and hyssop, and everybody knew in that time that the cedar wood was the sacred wood. It was the highest of woods. That's what they built a temple out of. And the hyssop was the lowliest of plants. In fact, they had a phrase back then. They would say, from the cedar to the hyssop. It meant from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. The scarlet thread, it represented blood. God's trying to tell us that he's going to tie everything together in this world through blood, that something in blood is going to actually tie us back to him. Now, the two sparrows in this illustration represent you. The day you die, remember it's appointed for man once to die and after this comes judgment. The day you die and stand before God, these two sparrows represent you. But you might be thinking, well, Justin, hold on, time out. That's weird because I'm one person and why are there two sparrows? Because God does not leave you alone when you stand before him. He brought into this earth a second person to stand with you. Now, this first sparrow is introduced and we're told that this first sparrow has gone from the cedar to the hyssop, from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows, that he's gonna tie 
tie everything together through his blood that he's going to be placed in an earthen vessel full of living water. And so Jesus looks at his disciples in Matthew, in Mark chapter 10, he says, Matthew chapter 10, he says, hey, listen, listen, not one fell to the ground apart from your father. In other words, God always had a plan for one to die so that before God, you would be cleansed. And so this first sparrow represents Jesus who went from the highest of fights to the lowest of lows, who tied everything together with his blood on the cross that when he shed his blood for the sin of the world, he washed away your sin. And now tying everything together through his blood, he took on an earthen vessel full of living water so that the second sparrow representing you could be washed in his blood and set free to fly. Come on, somebody. Oh, I hope you see it today. Friends, this is the gospel hidden in a weird little verse in Leviticus so that you could understand grace, undeserved, unmerited favor, that there is a God who cares and he hides his glory in the little details that we often walk by so that our hearts would be convinced that even in the mundane, he is at work. He cares so much and his purpose through everything is to teach you to know him. Right now, he wants to convince your heart that he really does care. When you live your life convinced that God cares, he fills the mundane with glory. I wonder, I came to church today on this rainy Sunday, but on the inside you feel stuck. <laughs> You've been going through the routines, your marriage feels stuck, your career feels stuck. Your plans feel stuck, and you're starting to live like he doesn't care, starting to live like he's not paying attention. This is the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention today, telling you, don't believe that lie. God cares. He cares about the little things. He cares about the details. Maybe you hear you've been striving for so long, trying to prove your worth, trying to show everybody else that you've got it. You want to be better than your brother, better than your dad, better than your coworker. You've always got somebody you've got to compete against. God wants to show your heart today that all that striving is costing you life. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. Grace justifies you. You're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He loves you. Receive that free gift and rest in his acceptance because he cares. You say, Justin, I didn't hit my goals. I didn't perform the way I wanted to. I didn't do everything I was planning. My life got messed up. My, my plans got interrupted. This person messed things up and now I got to clean up their mess and it's all... <laughs> you know... When me and my wife were foster parents preparing to have our first child, first foster child in our home, we didn't close on our house for nine months. Our new home was delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. Nine months, we lived with friends, patched it together. And the whole time I'm praying, God, don't you care? I need somewhere to live. Why does this closing keep getting delayed? It was all out of my hands. It was so frustrating. But then we finally closed on our house because during those nine months, the state of Connecticut wouldn't license us as foster parents because we didn't have a permanent home. And so we're waiting and waiting and waiting. It was frustrating. But then we finally closed on our house. And two weeks later, we get a phone call of a three-day-old baby girl who wouldn't have been born nine months earlier 
when we were supposed to close on our house, who would have been assigned to another family if our closing had not been delayed. And that three-day-old baby girl became a permanent member of our family just in May, after two and a half years of the process. But I realized that my daughter wouldn't be my daughter if my closing hadn't been delayed. <laughs> Friends, sometimes the delays, see, God's, he's in the details. He's counting the hairs on your head. And you're stressed about paying your electric bill? Don't you know that he cares? What, how different would your life look if you just rested in the truth? My God cares. I want to pray with you today. Right there in your seat, wherever you are, every location, right at home, right here in the room. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And if you're here today, maybe you feel stuck, tired. Maybe you feel like life is pointless. Maybe you feel uncertain about how things have played out in your world. I just want to give you an invitation with your head bowed and with your eyes closed to just receive the grace of God today. This morning I was praying for you and I felt inclined to read Psalm 23 again. Most of us have heard that psalm. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet streams. And then here's the one that caught me. He restores my soul. My soul. And I believe that even right now at Liquid Church today, God wants to meet you and restore your soul. If that's you, just, just right where you're seated, just put your hands up. Just as a... As a symbol of receiving. Just right there in your seat. You don't have to stick them up in the air real high. Just, just flip over your palms. Face them up. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, you know every detail of every story, and there's somebody here that feels like you're not paying attention. Lord, I pray that you would come upon them right now, and that you would speak in the way that only you can, the simple truth that you care. And I pray that that would change everything. Lord, I pray that even right now you'd minister to your people, Meet every one of us whose plans have been interrupted, whose dreams have been deferred. God, meet us right now and remind us afresh that you're a God who has a plan we can't fully see, but we can fully trust. Lord, I just receive your peace right now. Just receive from him today. I receive your peace right now, Jesus. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want to pray with you today if you're far from God. Maybe Jesus isn't the center of your life and you don't have peace with God, you can today. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The grace of God is available to you. Christ died for your sins. He rose from the dead so that you could have new life. Would you give me the honor of leading you in just a simple prayer of surrender to Jesus today? Whisper these words to God. Just repeat them after me. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Just ask him today. Whisper it to him. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. I put my trust in you. And I surrender. I believe you died and rose again. Today, I receive your peace right now. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.